0: tuned into Sunset Sessions with me, your host, Arundita, and joining me today is Claire O'Neill. So Claire is a woman with many talents, and she was first introduced to me as the co-founder of Uh, Greener Festival, which is uh, an amazing organization that makes an impact by helping events, venues, tours, and the live sector to improve sustainability, which is, I'm sure you'll agree, a worthy cause. Um, But upon further inspection, Claire is also an agent and performer at Arcadia Spectacular. So I first came across Arcadia Spectacular well, many years ago when they were touring in Asia, I believe, and um, and my friends told me about this crazy giant spider stage that would uh, shoot fire. Little did I know that this giant spider is um, supposed to be made from repurposed materials. Not just that. Um, Claire is also an aerialist. So we're going to have a great chat with Claire today and she's going to tell us all about what she does. And I'm really looking forward to you hearing her. Hello, Claire. How are you doing? Hello, thank you so much
1: for welcoming me and for that lovely introduction as well <laughs> and it's great to hear that you'd already heard about Arcadia on its uh, travels around the world because uh, it's been a, an epic journey to say the least so looking forward to speaking with you also I was delighted when I saw that um, that you would be the person I'm having a conversation with as well because looking at your profile it's quite um, outstanding so really happy to meet you and to speak with you
0: Oh, thank you such kind words. <laughs> okay, so um just out of curiosity, what how did you end up working with Arcadia Spectacular and can you tell us a bit more about it actually tell the audience about what what Arcadia Spectacular is about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's quite a nice it's quite a nice thing to think about actually because when I was about 21, um I'd been going out to lots of different woodland parties and raves, the free party scene all around the UK, and then started to venture out into Europe, finding psychedelic nomadic gatherings where people were coming together and going wild and being in love with being alive. And on one of these such adventures, I went to Spain uh, to a festival called Omni Festival, which was... um, Possibly a bit more wild than it should have been from a, a festival organization perspective. Um, but it's the kind of place where you really cut your teeth in like how to survive in life. I'll, do, I'll kind of just leave that description there. Um, but at this festival, I uh, was there doing helping with the transport and waste management of a festival. And uh, Pip Rush, who's one of the directors of Arcadia, he's he was also 21 at the time, and they were there doing a chill-out area in this festival, uh, which was the Festival of Survival. And so I first met Pip there when we were 21. And over the years, both of our... Um, passions in the festival industry and the various things that we were doing uh, evolved. Pip created Arcadia. I created a greener festival and was working on lots of different festivals. So we kind of stayed in touch that way over the years. And then I think probably about between five and 10 years later, um, I mean, Pip and I had stayed in touch the whole way, but I ended up coming to work with Arcadia. Um, I think it was... When I'd seen the Lords of Lightning who stand on Tesla coils and throw electric bolts of electricity at each other, Um, even though I already had a number of careers going on with like being an aerialist, I'd got a greener festival, I was the manager of the Association of Independent Festivals, I thought there's no way I can fit Arcadia in as well. And then I saw not only the Spider, but also the Lords of Lightning at Glastonbury and I was like this is actually the best thing I've ever seen. So I'm going to make time to work with this. And also I love Pip dearly. He's a really close friend. Um, So that's when I started helping with getting bookings. Uh, But to describe the spider, I mean, since then I do lots lots of different things with Arcadia over the last like maybe six or seven years. The spider, you touched upon um, kind of how that was created or what it's made of. Uh, Pip and Bertie are the two founders of Arcadia and they've known each other since they were kids as well um, but with their group of various friends and collectives um, they would go around scrap yards and look for um, any kind of big bits of metal or stuff that had been left around that needed to be given a new lease of life and then created something around that um, point with the spider specifically it started with the afterburner but with the spider the idea was we've got this real kind of almost like a god worshipping linear way of structuring a lot of gigs where you have the the artist or the dj at the front and then everyone faces in the same direction and certainly in the electronic scene often people are all facing kind of one way and not necessarily mixing up whereas when you think of The way that we'd come together traditionally around a campfire, where you've got the fire in the center and there's that kind of 360 and and people come together in the round in that way. That is what wanted to be recreated through the afterburner and through the spider stage to kind of bring people back together in that communal way around fire. Um, And the other thing with the materials that it's created from. And it was very influenced by mutoid waste as well. Pip's older brother, Joe Rush, started mutoid waste, and they've been doing this for for many decades. Um, A lot about social justice and against oppression and warfare, etc. So a lot of the materials that the spider was made of um, are... Uh, essentially materials of oppression or destruction so like fighter jet engines or um, log grabbers there's custom and excise scanning units make up the legs and the idea is to turn these um this machinery of oppression and separation into machinery of unity and bringing people together so it's always been about a, a positive transformative process um, I mean obviously, There's the issue now that it was created for Glastonbury Festival very much, or that's where it was born from, which is one location. To tour it, it is five shipping containers for for the whole show. So it's quite a thing to move around. Um, So over recent years, there's been a lot of other uh, kind of creative offshoots developed so that we can move in a more streamlined way. Um, But also the great thing with the spider is it almost acted like a catalyst for all sorts of different creative minds to just flourish you know we had people coming from all different backgrounds whether it was technical production or performance or even in innovation around fuels and um, around different types of materials you know so it's been a real it really has been a source of unity in many ways
0: I think you're quite a brave lady judging by all the stuff that you've done you know and I want to ask what inspired you to take those first steps to initiate um, a greener festival what was it that made you feel like you needed to do that
1: well I think the first thing was probably down to um, a woman who became a friend of mine when I was about 17 uh, called Kyla Dante and um she was a real inspiration to me because she she kind of opened my eyes a bit to a lot of the different um activist movements and animal rights, and she was vegetarian and um and she showed me a lot of counterculture that I wasn't aware of when I was growing up. And um and so that opened my eyes to a lot. And then we used to, I mentioned earlier, we'd go out to free parties in the woods, which was like a reconnection back to nature as well. And also, again, meeting these, um, I guess they're almost like the the next stage of the hippies, (laughs) you know, but in the 2000s, in the early 2000s. Um, And that was a massive inspiration for me as well. And at these events, they'd have solar powered sound systems or um, compost and They'd sort out and clean up the whole area before leaving. I mean, there were unofficial parties, but the space was always taken care of. Um, and again, there was always that undercurrent of, of activism um, against oppression of people or in support of the environment and those those parts of our lives, I suppose, that don't get protected because they've not been valued for so many centuries. <laughs> um And so that was a big inspiration and i was doing music industry management at university at the time which was teaching me all about the music industry and then i started to get into live like um, i was doing work experience on big festivals big major festivals and could see that as far as the environmental and social aspects it was nothing like the counterculture so i thought well how can i take this kind of passion that I have real deep passion from this counterculture and bring it into the mainstream so I decided to do my dissertation about festivals and the environment from the audience perspective because I thought then the industry would listen to what the audience wanted um, rather than the kind of hippie ideal of it Um, So then my lecturer, Ben Chalice, suggested we made the dissertation a website, which was a that my classmate Luke Westbury built for us. And then festivals from all around the world just started getting in touch. And um, we decided to make like a little checklist back in, I think it was maybe 2007. Um, And then the university repeated the research that I'd done for the next number of years, like every couple of years, um, along with the european festival association and it's just it's just organically snowballed from there over the last 15 years um so that but those were the seeds i guess
0: wow and so now um a greener festival is that something that you spend a lot of your time doing
1: yeah it's um it's more and more um all of my time <laughs> because in in 2015 we actually took a year out because we thought it's is the work done now? Because we felt like in 2015, the awareness was up there. More we like, is, is this still useful actually what we're doing? And um, and then luckily somebody sent their masters that they'd done about a greener festival, which completely blew my mind. And, and seeing it from somebody else's perspective, saying that this was the only assessment where people were actually going in and looking what was happening on the ground and then giving feedback for improvements each year. Um, So it's largely thanks to that actually that we decided to carry on Um, and then we developed a whole education side of it as well so that we would train assessors and train people in the industry Um, and we reviewed all of the assessment materials and since that time uh, we now don't just work with festivals but also tours, artists, arenas sports events, so all different types of events, because it's the same fundamentals at the end of the day. Um, and also we can see that it's it's kind of like an ecosystem that involves all of those different elements. So if they're all pushing in the same direction, then we're going to get where we want to go <laughs> a lot sooner. Um, but um, it used to be about 50-50, my time between Arcadia and Agrina Festival, um, plus other random things that would come up, because I tend to follow whatever I'm passionate about so I'm really bad at going oh god let's do this (laughs) you know let's start this thing let's start that thing um but since the events have all been closed down for 12 months there's been a lot less chance for performing for instance although I have done a few gigs with trees which has been really good fun (laughs) um but we've been doing a lot of work with the events industry with the live music industry especially behind the scenes on the kind of um, long-term strategy of making sure that when we come back sustainability is a fundamental part of how things are operating rather than being an afterthought once we've rebooted an old system that never worked
0: in the first place. Well that makes so much sense that you use this downtime to plan for the future. Such a great opportunity. So you've been doing it for a long time a greener festival then would you say that there are clear changes in um, the way that people are planning arts events or planning these festivals and would you say that there's an increase in uh, the mindset the green mindset is that something that you're seeing
1: yeah I would say so I mean bearing in mind that we we work fully internationally so we get quite a few different um I suppose different stages and different types of engagement depending on which um country or continent it is but also because we work across different parts of the the live events industry again people are at different levels different stages just to kind of put a precursor that the culture of festivals when I did my work in 2005 there were already festivals and parts of festival culture that had been doing this for decades you know they were well ahead of of the curve and the culture has been there in festivals for a long time of sustainability of the original festivals maybe not necessarily the commercial ones that were built afterwards. But before the pandemic, there was a huge increase, like an exponential increase in awareness about sustainability or issues of sustainability with people, with media, which makes a big difference, um, and within the industry as well. But it was still, it's very hard to change the culture of an industry, and especially when, if, if you're used to running on a certain system and it's a high-pressure thing to deliver events there's usually restrictions with time and budgets and so it can be very easy to just do what you know works and any challenges to change that can meet quite a lot of resistance uh, especially when it gets to crunch time and and maybe uh, stress might be high so although there was an increased interest there wasn't necessarily huge movement in the way that things were being done Um, And so that's how I see um, a blessing in what happened with the pandemic because more than anything, it's a frame of mind. And previously we would never have imagined that every tour in the world would be canceled, that every flight would be grounded, that every venue would be closed and every festival canceled. It was no way would that ever happen. And now we can see: well, yes, actually the impossible can happen which means that anything that we thought was insurmountable or couldn't change <clears throat> for the better, for sustainability or for equality or for whatever it may be, we now know actually that anything is possible and whatever we think is unimaginable, it's not, <laughs> you know, it can be done. So I feel like the doors are wide open now and it's just um, it's just making sure that, showing that the sustainable route or this route of unity and falling in love with each other and the planet is the far more alluring door to go through than the really
0: boring business as usual. <laughs> you know. So that's the objective at the moment. Mm, I really appreciate your mindset. Thank you for saying all those things. There is a few things that Agrina Festival does that I wanted to ask about. And mm-hmm. they're definitely things that that a greener festival does to encourage festivals to to be green so there's some prizes that you um give out some awards and um and those awards and prizes they have assessment criteria don't they so could you give us a, a hint as to as to what those are tell us about the prizes
1: yeah absolutely so this is something that was was kind of the foundation of one of the first things we started doing with a greener festival was the greener festival awards uh which are now the agf awards um and it's it's essentially a certification because more than one uh event or organization can get it in a year and the idea behind starting that were there were a few different reasons is to um to help organizations to have a structure under which to plan their sustainability because it can be quite unwieldy so so what it does is it gives you a self-assessment first um, and I'll talk about the different areas that we look at but the process is a self-assessment followed by a site visit by greener festival assessors or greener arena assessors whoever it may be And then after the event or as a follow up to the assessment, we get a lot of evidence. So that would be things like fuel bills, surveys, waste transfer notes, um, proof of what happened with water, proof of where the sewage has gone. So it's a really detailed like looking under the bonnet, leaving no stone unturned. (laughs) Um, And so in the end, it creates um, an environmental impact assessment or a sustainability report with recommendations for how to improve as well as um, congratulations for where it's been done really well. And the areas that we look at um, are first the actual local area and the impacts there. So that could be the ecosystem first and foremost. So we'd look at what's Um, Being monitored and what are you aware of and what are you enhancing and protecting as far as biodiversity? How are you protecting local waterways, local air, flora and fauna? So what's actually happening on the ground itself? And then we look at the local community. So how are you not only mitigating any negative impacts on the local community, but how are you enhancing the event with engagement of the local community and helping and supporting and being, uh, how are you making it so that by existing in that space, you're making it better, <laughs> basically? Wow, okay.
0: that's, um, um, that's interesting, because I think a lot of a lot of people, when they think of sustainability, um, they don't even think about how it impacts the the social environment Mm. and the the culture that surrounds the area that the event is happening um because so much of our culture is a bit of um well, everything is a bit consumerist as we move into into cities, and so it's really normal for people to uh, create an experience, and the mm. experience just dips in and out of a place without any real relationship with it. It's just yeah. a a thing to be consumed, um, not mm. to not to be, um, communicated or or um Created with the environment. That's yeah,
1: yeah. And it's a, and it's a bit of a. Fu- I mean, it's a fundamental issue of sustainability, really, because it's like I touched upon earlier that that kind of sense of place or being really connected to the place where you are. That is like an. It's like an intimacy in a way, you know. And then and then you start to care for it and take a responsibility. And also, it's a missed opportunity if you're going into a place to not really kind of get into the skin of it and interact with it because that's how you get even more of a uniqueness for what you're doing if you're just taking the same package and just plonking it in place to place without integrating what's around you then uh it's a missed like i say it's a missed opportunity i think um and then we also because we operate Internationally as well, we um, look at whether Indigenous communities are involved and respected in the places that people go. And this is especially in relation to tours where it's a very rock and roll kind of you might not even know where the name of where you are, <laughs> you know, going from place to place. So, um, so I think that sense of place and caring about place is really important um, and feeling a connection to it. Um, So those are the the local, like, place impacts. And then we look at the global impacts. Um, So there we'd look at what you would kind of more traditionally imagine when you think about environmental assessments, such as travel and transport um, of visitors, artists, staff, crew, production. Um, We look at power and how the power is managed, where it's sourced, how it's um, efficient. Um, how it's correctly monitored or specced because we see a lot of waste in the the energy uh, field. And that's a really good one because um, to to start tackling with a lot of organizations because they can save money very quickly on that one as well, which always helps. Um, And then we look at procurements, which again connects to a lot more to social issues, but on a global scale, looking at uh, kind of supply chains, And also, again, how you're looking at reusability rather than disposability. Um, Food and beverages, similarly with procurements, you know, the social impacts of that as well as the land use impacts um, are phenomenal. So so that's one that we take a a close look at. It's quite interesting with the beverages because you'll hear a lot about cups and receptacles. Um, and serveware and whether it's plastic or biodegradable and all the rest of it which yes is important because of plastic pollution but what's in the cup is far more of an impact than the cup itself and yet it never gets talked about well I talk about it quite a lot but most people don't talk about it so that's something that we take a look at as well and then um and then waste we shouldn't really call it waste more materials so what happens with all of the materials that come into the event are they being reused for whatever's left over can it be recycled are there salvage schemes is there compost so on and so forth and then um water use and wastewater we find that um with water, it's quite an interesting one. Because water isn't doesn't really come up as a high carbon impact, it gets forgotten about quite often in people's reporting. Because if you're looking from a carbon perspective, it doesn't come up high on the list compared to things like transport and whatnot. And yet water is like the source, you know. So, so we look at water as um as a separate metric in itself. Um, and there's the obviously the preservation of the water. But then with the wastewater and sewage, it's quite interesting to look at how it's often treated the same way that waste materials used to be treated 15 years ago, where it all just gets bundled up into one thing sent to one place. You're not really sure where, but they deal with it over there. Whereas now we're so meticulous about materials and can see the value in them. And we separate them out into different ways and send them to different places and so with wastewater and sewage the the most outstanding events or organizations that we look at have the same methods with their wastewater as well so they separate out gray water or urine um, or solid human waste and make sure that they're retaining the value in all of these different streams um, because there's hugely valuable nutrients in that plus the water itself so so it's trying to reduce the mileage on those retain the nutrients and not waste water.
0: So you've mentioned waste a few times and something that I'm quite curious is there is so much waste produced and there must be lots of waste produced in the events industry so like at its best how much waste are we looking at for for an event and what are some ways that our listeners can reduce the amount of waste that they're producing at Mm. their events if um, if they want to
1: yeah, so there's there's a few different possibilities there because it depends on the type of event. For instance, if you were looking at a camping event, a large scale one, then a lot of the waste can come from the audience. So then it comes to what facilities you're providing for the audience in advance or for the visitors so that they don't need to bring stuff to the event. Um, but if you are in a position and also the communication with them as well. But if you're in a position where actually the waste is coming more from your production and what you are providing, then there can be, for instance, things like giveaways. Do you need to give things away? Do you need to bring that material into your event? Um, Is there a way that you can replace anything that's disposable with something that's reusable? Um, And also with any material that you have coming in, instead of looking at it as a, a purchase, and then a use and then a throw it away where you have to pay then probably for the waste at the end as well. Instead, seeing it as a material and a resource and looking at the life cycle of it and how is this going to be reused or what is going to happen to it afterwards. Um, and to make sure that the if you have a, a waste team, for instance, or I should say a, a materials management team at the end of the line, then are they speaking to the people doing the purchases to make sure that whatever it is that you are facilitating bringing in through your choice of purchase has somewhere to go afterwards that is valuable and is not just the linear extract, use, dispose. Because that's what's got us in a big old mess (laughs) is that extraction, use and dispose because of not giving any value to that that we've extracted in the first place. Um, And again, this is kind of, I'm going to try not to get too deep here, but this is one of, again, the fundamental issues about why we're in this position with the earth, because we see it as something to exploit and something to take from and don't value that place that we've taken things from in the first place. And, And it happens, you can see it on Uh, social issues between people as well where you don't value that person for whatever reason and you see that they are something to be exploited and used which we see around the world with how some people treat some other people you know so it's that fundamental uh, kind of um, view of value so if in your uh, like it's kind of a quite a deep way to Think about your waste management, but if, you're, if you are viewing the value of what you've extracted in order to get that item to your event, then you're going to think very long and hard about how you're not going to need to extract that value again, um, i.e. can you reuse it again in future events or did you need it in the first place? Uh, so that's uh, quite a lot perhaps to say on that issue.
0: <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great amount to say. And so do you think that if, if people were doing something like a giveaway, that it would be important perhaps for them to consider, like, is this item actually going to be useful for someone else and how long will it live in the hands of this person that it's given to? If I, for example, wanted to... Uh, give people a uh, bamboo cutlery <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that be would that be something that would be useful or would you say like don't give anything at all like what's the point
1: um, I guess it depends I mean there can be things that will be useful I think things that replace if there's something that people tend to do day to day or a behavior that's quite common that creates a lot of waste, for instance, using disposable, whatever it might be, and you can provide a reusable version of that as a giveaway, then you are potentially preventing future waste by providing that item. So in that case, it could be something that's beneficial. Um, or, you know, or if you were supporting, let's say that someone is producing uh, really beautiful, local, natural products and you're helping them by providing these beautiful items that are actually nourishing for the person that's going to receive it, then that's that's a positive thing. Whereas if you're getting a bunch of tat produced from somewhere else that's from extractive, like probably made from fossil fuels and supporting um, Um, extractive destructive industries that's then going to end up as waste that will further need more fuel and more water to dispose of then it's probably not worth doing (laughs) um i really like we've been having a lot of conversations really about creating regenerative tours and um and regenerative events where where you leave a better impact than than what you started with rather than just trying to limit your damage. Um, there's a guy called Mark Stevenson, and he's always giving really great quotes, but I can't remember <laughs> his reference for the quotes. you have to look them up. Um, but one is about being a good ancestor and and asking yourself the question of whatever choice you're making, um is this going to enhance well-being? is it going to enhance biodiversity and is it going to leave a good legacy for future generations? And if your actions or what you're spending your energy into is not achieving that, it's probably not worth doing. <laughs> you know,
0: So it's a good frame of reference to just make your choices from. So what is it that I could do or that our listeners could do as individuals or as creative individuals that um, might be, helping the cause i mean besides the obvious things like reduce reuse recycle um it can be a bit overwhelming at times to think about how we can contribute um, how Mm. we can make a difference what what do you think
1: Mm. well i'm actually going to refer to uh we had an amazing keynote speaker called dale vince who runs ecotricity a renewable energy company in the uk amongst many other things And he always references that actually energy, transport, and food account for 80% of our impact. So if you can think about how to minimize the amount of pollution that's being created by your transport or how much weight you're taking on the road for instance or the way that you're traveling from place to place that's going to have a massive impact and then with your tech riders or the equipment that you're using look at what the energy consumption is and using a green rider for wherever you go to ask the venues or ask promoters ask agents to make sure that wherever possible there's renewable energy and saving energy and then to go plant-based with food is going to be a massive impact because although um, yes there's different production methods and and there's regenerative farming etc but it's on quite a small scale compared to the industrial farming of meat and dairy um, and also the impacts of fish in the ocean So if we are using the plants to feed ourselves, instead of I think it's something like 70 to 80 percent of land use for crops is just to feed animals, to feed us, you know, we need to give that land back to nature. So by going plant-based as an individual, no matter what, you can have a huge impact. And then as a creative um, person or someone that has an artistic outlet. That is such a gift and so crucial and important at this moment in time, because we can sit here and talk about climate change and percentages and, you know, degrees and all the rest of it. And it's not going to resonate with many people's hearts and minds. It's not something that's felt on a deep human level. And yet through creative outlets whatever artistic outlet that might be you can fundamentally change people's vision of what the future can be you know because you can tell stories and you can inspire and that's so needed right now and it's something that's really in the i guess the global patriarchy is something that's been pushed out as not as not important i mean that comes to when you look at the feminine masculine imbalance, you know, that if you look at the fundamental energies of masculine versus feminine, the feminine is very much um, the emotional, intuitive, creative, um, and it's been oppressed for many centuries. And that's not just saying like women oppressed by men, it's the feminine energy and those feminine aspects that are oppressed by the masculine aspects, which are valued as more important in a patriarchy. But we need, we really need the, we need that intuition and we need that creativity because without that, we can't see an alternative future. So this is where I see the artists and creatives as being, you know, the the vision for what the future is going to be.
0: A lot of ancient civilizations definitely were able to express and and tell us that the earth herself uh, was, was feminine. I mean, we are the bearers of life. We carry life in our body, women, um, even though we have masculine and feminine qualities for sure. Um, but it is it is this uh, feminine nature that is the fertile birth flowing aspect of ourselves be it man or woman and the planet mm-hmm. so i think something that we usually do as humans is we get quite focused on the symptoms of the problem and a greener festival is doing a great job of um definitely like dealing with the symptoms of the problem by helping organizers and events and such to question their processes to have a good look at them and to and to wonder how to change things for the better it's completely reasonable for us to do that because that's what we can see we can see those symptoms we can see um, the effects of the degradation the ocean plastic pollution the extinctions, the amount of waste we produce, like all of those things are, are measurable but but if we were gonna ask actually like why is this happening? What's the reason that we continue to do these things um, that have such devastating effects? Um, what do you what do you think?
1: Well, I think that you touched on it there when you were describing the the life givers and the earth as being like the, the, the feminine aspect as well. And if you look at how the feminine, like I said before, is very much oppressed, then it makes sense that the earth and lots of the life on it is actually dying, actually dying, because it's not allowed to be given rebirth and it's not being valued and it's not being honored and it's not seen as sacred. And we've, um, in uh, many of our cultures, hold nothing as sacred. And that is something that fundamentally we need to heal in ourselves and as societies, that with our children, as we're bringing them up, there is something that is held as sacred. Um, That the the value of the earth, the value of the process of the earth, the value of life, the value of women, the value of all people on the planet is sacred and valued. Uh, That is the fundamental detachment that we have. And that's why we're seeing the the symptoms of detachment from our own hearts, detachment from each other and detachment from the processes of nature. Because at the end of the day, we are nothing but nature. We're not separate, we're a part of it. So all we have to do is remember that and fall in love. And so I'm um, I'm actually, that's again, why I'm so hopeful and happy for the future because all that we have to do is fall in love with everything. <laughs> and what is better than falling in love? It's like the best thing in the universe. So bring it on.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that's
0: such a great message for us to end i think <laughs> thank you so much claire for that uh, juicy juicy conversation <laughs> i've been speaking to claire o'neill um who is the co-founder of a greener festival uh, she's also an aerialist that means she dances on strings in the sky she's an agent and a performer with arcade year spectacular. This has been your host, me Arunditha, and you've been listening to Sunset Sessions. Sunset Sessions will feature conversations with practitioners about art at the intersection of other fields like sustainability, climate change, technology, plus compassion and care. And I think we definitely Talked about some compassionate, caring, love-infusing subjects today. So thank you so much, Claire, for joining me. Sunset Sessions is produced by Mama Magnet in collaboration with Sifa Twenty Twenty One. To tune into other episodes. Head to www.cefa.sg or search cefa.sg on Spotify.